All right. This is the Crypto Show, and welcome to this beautiful uh, climate here. Jeez, man. Let me just turn the camera around. Here I am at uh, <laughs> beautiful Lake Chapala at the Roca Azul RV Park. I'm on the road constantly. Uh, you know, the, the Crypto Show got started in 2013, and uh, we were on air as uh, AM, FM, uh, Pirate Radio, Bloomberg Radio. That went on and on for, well, six years. And I just got tired of doing that stuff. So now these are these shows are kind of intermittent. And today I have Duke Lido from the Hush Project. And Hush.is is the uh, the website for that. Um, so anyway, hello, doggy. <laughs> so uh, a little bit of house cleaning out of the way. I've got uh, Anarchapoco coming up, which I am the... Uh, uh, I guess, organizer for the crypto uh, part of Anarchapoco. And you can save on your tickets if you want to come to that. It's February 14th through the 18th in Acapulco, Mexico. Uh, use the code CRYPTO10. All right. <clears throat> now, well, let's just jump right on into it. So I wanted to start off with this. Uh, Duke, I know you had a, a background, uh, I guess, in like Silicon Valley or something. We'll say, like, how did you get started into crypto? And was libertarianism any part of that? Okay. Um, I started running a Bitcoin full node in 2011 and because uh, a friend told me about it, just kind of uh, I was very involved in user group meetings for tech stuff like Linux groups and Git user groups and all this kind of stuff. And then smart people were like, hey, there's this cool new thing called Bitcoin. You should check it out. And the first day I heard about it, I read the white paper and started compiling and running the full note. I was like, this is cool. I'm going to I'm going to be into this now. So that was 2011. And then I kind of fell out of it. I just uh, life got busy. Uh, the next year, I just uh, I was a CPU miner, GPU miner in the early days. Um, and then when ASICs came out, it kind of, uh, you know, ruined the party for all us CPU, GPU miners. And I just, I just lost interest and I was not involved in Bitcoin at all for many years. Uh, I just, I didn't even really see the whole altcoin boom of all these other coins. And then I guess it was five or six years later in 2017, I someone mentioned that there's all these new coins there's these things called privacy coins that those sounded cool to me and then i jumped back in getting involved so that was the summer of 2017 i started getting involved with uh, zcash hush komodo which had just launched a few months before that yeah so, so in the beginning of these there was a, a genesis of these crypto, all these ZK coins that came from Zcash. And so Zcash was the first, but they weren't the first to launch. I mean, what's, what is the genesis of these ZK coins? So just kind of interesting that, you know, obviously Zcash was you know, relatively public about everything they were doing, open source code, you know, uh, lots of people were arguing, deciding, voting on what actually, you know, what should happen, how it should look and all these things. And, the Komodo project, which it's it's changed names a lot of times. The, the KMD Komodo coin, you know, was launched to then, but it came from an older group. There is something called 
NXT. There's something called Bitcoin Dark. There's something called Supernet. And those were groups of people that that Komodo came from. So Komodo was a new project of those people. And they said, oh, wow, this, uh, this Zcash stuff is really cool. We like it. And they took that open source code and they actually mined the very first Genesis block with the, you know, for Zcash, you know, zero knowledge proof ZK stuff. And they beat Zcash just by a few days. I can't remember exactly, but it was very close. Um, they just iterated a little bit faster. So, and so, so the first Genesis block for zero knowledge proof privacy coins was KMD and Zcash a few days later. Um, then there's something called Z Classic, which was a fork, a chain fork of Zcash, which didn't like the 20% founder's reward, also known as like a dev tax. So they basically just chain forked and took that away and then hush uh, right after that. And this all happened within three, three or four months in the fall of 2016. Right. You know, I'd, I'd seen a question in one of the forums somewhere. It's like, with with all of you, all of the different uh, ZK projects out there and everybody's using, you know, Zcash as technology, why is everybody bashing on Zcash? And I think that's a damn good question. That's a damn good question, all right? I'm going to explain it to the best of my knowledge. First of all, super duper smart mathematicians and scientists academic people that don't care about privacy coins at all they're the ones that invented the 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 lowest level internal tech stuff that zcash used so first of all you could even say that zcash the company already outsourced to to those academics to create the low low level internals that they needed to then make a, a crypto coin on top of that and then you know, that was funded by Silicon Valley venture capitalists. I believe it was $3 million in funding that originally, you know, paid those people to, to bring the technology from the realm of abstraction, from mathematical academic papers that are just gobbledygook to most people and, and make them runnable on a computer and, you know, and be able to be relatively, you know, fast. It was faster than they had ever been before. So that's a little bit of the story. And then I would say, you know, then going to the next realm is, you know, there's all these coins that use Zcash technology. I mean, I could list probably at least a dozen or two off the top of my head real quick that, that use it. Why are they, you know, arguing or fighting so much or whatever? I would say it's a, it's a lot. It's very similar to like Linux kernel and the Linux distributions. So, you know, why are there so many Linux distributions? Why is there Gentoo and Slackware and Arch and Artix and gosh, I Mint and I can't even mention. I mean, there's literally hundreds of Linux distributions. They all use the Linux kernel. They all use the same internals. And, you know, they're they all have their own ideas or optimizations for what they, the direction they want to go. So I would say that all these different ZK coins, you could call them, that are based on the, the math internals that, that Zcash, you know, funded. It's kind of like Linux distributions. They're all using the, 
the same super low level stuff, you know, almost like the engine of a car, but then the body is different, you know, different, different interior, different seats, different color, different radio, you know, like all the other things are customized to, to be different. So, and that's kind of good, you know, like in my opinion, that's how research and development should work. You should have a lot of people studying the same questions from different angles and also have them, you know, maybe wanting to push it in certain different ways. And that's how you get like high quality research and development and find new interesting things that if you just had one group that maybe only had one set of intentions that they would only push it in a certain way and, and maybe only discover certain things or or make it for only one group of people right okay so uh where did hush come from and how did you join and when why did you join well, hush is older than me um, i was not involved in the the launch of the project um the original name of hush was hilariously z dash uh, people realized that that was kind of a weird <laughs> name and uh there's actually an online i don't know what it was it's like it was like an online contest and they just randomly asked people on some forum I, I think it's doesn't even it's not even on the web anymore but they asked some people hey we need a new name come up with a new name and some random person was just like hey what about hush and then and then they're just like yep that's it that's the new name there we go <laughs> And that's a little bit of the of the origin story there. Um, the original Hush source code was based on the Zcash 1.0 source code. So the, the source code that Zcash originally launched with. And uh, for instance, Komodo and Z Classic were all based on that. So all the first four, four, you know, the first four ZK coins all basically took the Zcash 1.0 code and then tweak that to their wants and needs. Um, Hush launched, I think it was November 16th, 2017. I think that's the date. And that was, I think about two months after the, the Zcash and Komodo Genesis blocks were, were mined. So very, very quickly after those company, you know, those coins launched, the Hush project was launched. Um, there was like an initial group of developers. There was an initial lead developers. I had, I was not involved with the project at all until about, let's say eight months later in the, the following summer. And those people were already on their way out. Like they, most of them weren't involved anymore. They kind of had their fun. I don't, you know, people leave projects for various reasons. And um, so I was kind of, I became just kind of a normal you know, contributor, developer in the second wave of, of Hush people, you know, tech people coming to work on Hush. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you, you worked with Komodo and uh, you did, I don't know how many commits you did in Komodo, but uh, what was, how did that come about? So I actually worked on Hush first. I found... So the, the, the first day I ever heard of Zcash, I was like, okay, Zcash seems pretty cool. And then like, you know, five minutes later, I was like, oh, there's this other thing called Hush. And they, they seem even cooler. Like there's no company, there's no like Silicon Valley influence going on. At that time, Hush had 0% 
uh, dev tax founders reward, 100% of mine blocks went to the miners. And for those reasons, like it just seemed like a cooler project. They also just had like cooler branding. I don't know why, like just as a, a tech developer, literally within a few minutes of each other, I learned of Zcash and Hush on the same day. And I was like, I want to be involved with Hush. And I just, you know, joined the chat rooms and yeah, I like the rawness of it too. It's just like kind of hardcore, and we you don't can give tell a that it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. You can tell that Hush is not like a Silicon Valley branded kind of thing from venture capital people. Like back then, Zcash was very much trying to tell people that they were the new Bitcoin, that they were going to dethrone bitcoin that zcash was better than bitcoin that bitcoin had no reason to exist now that zcash well, when, it, when it first when it first launched it was like you know eighteen thousand bitcoin or some crazy ass number yes, like that yes. for, for one zcash but i'm you know, glad that, that, you, that, that you know that history yes there oh, was yeah. i didn't even know that till later but there was evidently some kind of before zcash launched people were trading thousands of bitcoin for one zcash which is insane yeah. I mean, yeah, imagine, right. like, you need, like, to go down to the 10th decimal place to, to, to calculate the percentage loss. That, that they, but, yeah, you know, lessons, lessons learned. Um, no, I think that was all – I don't think that that was anybody in the market. I think that was, like, internal manipulation. Like, they were just buying their own coins for that amount or, or something. Yeah, they were trying to pump – you know, if you can imagine Silicon Valley venture capitalists were super involved in the launching – of Zcash, for instance, they got a, like a full, like a full interview with photos and everything of Zcash team in the New York Times when it launched. Like, like Zcash had insane connections into the venture capital world that like pushed it on average people, and there was a huge amount of you know pumping of of Zcash when. The tech really wasn't ready when it launched. The, the initial Zcash tech was painfully, painfully, unusably slow, and the, the privacy tech of it. So really, in the first few years of Zcash, it was just Bitcoin with, 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 with privacy marketing. But the privacy tech of Zcash was barely functional. Pretty much no one could use it. No exchanges supported it. No wallet, almost no wallet export, you know, supported it. You had to use the command line. And then if you did go through all those hoops, it literally would take like, it could take an hour to like make a transaction, literally. Like, like yeah. go ahead and wait one hour to make this private transaction. No one's going to do that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember all of that for sure. Yeah. So it launched with an insane fanfare and marketing and, and New York times, you know, interviewed, not just like a little blurb. I'm talking about like pictures of the team smiling and in you know, all it's just like, wow. Like the, how much money was spent on the New York, you know, getting them in the New York times and all that. Obviously venture capital people, they have an in, you know, they, they're, they're investors in many things. So, they, you know, they put their Zcash project in, you know, the New York Times. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of forgot so, the original question that you asked me. Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, um, well, that was that was most of it. But uh, I had also asked about the KMD, how you got involved in there. And oh, how right, much, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, how so much you I got involved with KMD after Hush and Zcash. So 
if you can imagine, Zcash was like an upstream of Hush, almost like, for instance, um, Debian Linux distribution is the upstream for many other Linux distributions. They're kind of they they'll like if they find a bug, they submit it back to where stuff came from. So I got involved with Hush primarily, but I would also send fixes to Zcash because I would find bugs, I would find improvements that could be made, and I would send it back to, to Zcash. So my initial you know involvement was primarily Hush, but also sending stuff to Zcash. And then the original, no, the the second lead developer of Hush was uh, Radix42. And they told me, hey, there's this interesting project, you know, Komodo, KMD. They, they do interesting stuff, too. If you want to, you know, learn stuff or have other stuff to work on, go check them out, see what they're doing. And so then I got involved with KMD a little bit after just... Uh, seeing you know learning seeing what they're doing you know they had a lot of code that was custom mm -hmm. like they added a lot of stuff to the to the zcash code that they forked from so it was uh yeah i got involved with kmd kind of third uh, after hush and zcash i would say and the, the big topic of this of course is going to be the dmca thing with with pirate so uh with komodo you how how many commits did you have in komodo and if if you made those commits, why aren't those commits able to be, you know, sent over to, to Pirate since it was a side chain of let of me Komodo. let me explain a little bit of stuff because it is like it's kind of like a it's like you know nature is always more complicated than our <laughs> than our brains want it to be. There's no straight lines or perfect circles. So I got you know pretty heavily involved with kmd and became a core developer of kmd while i was a core developer of hush i basically was working on multiple projects um and that was because it was they had different stuff to work on it was interesting and then all the knowledge that i gained from reading the source code of hush and zcash it all immediately applied to kmd it was almost like once you learn the source code of one zk coin you can then be really productive in all the other coins because you know you're going to find something, you know, 95% at least similar. And you can start, you know, you're not just walking into a code base like, oh, I need to read a million lines of code to even start. So I became pretty, you know, active there. I think I have like, I looked it up. It's, it's 187 Git commits, which I, I would estimate a few thousand lines of code. Um, and I also became, you know, just very involved with Komodo. Like they have a lot of, they launched a lot of different coins. So Pirate was, uh, it was like a side project, you know, you know, the core developers of Komodo at that time, you know, we all have our inside jokes and things. And the inside joke was that Pirate was a, a test coin that gained a marketing department. And what does that mean? Well, with Komodo Tech, one of the biggest innovations that they did above the Zcash code was you can launch your own coin pretty much with one line of code. Like you, It's like a Swiss army knife of a full node. You could give it all these command line options and create a different coin. Like, for instance, a different supply, a different halving interval, a different you know block reward, and, and a bajillion other options. So 
I was working with the lead developer of Komodo at that time, uh, JL777, and I asked him a question that led to the creation of Pirate. So let me explain that a little bit. Komodo was in the process of actually disabling privacy tech on their coin. And the reason for that is that I don't know if people remember, but back then there was a there began the big backlash against privacy coins and they were getting delisted everywhere so um komodo wanted to keep these listings on all these exchanges and one of the ways that they did that was they like kind of isolated their privacy tech they disabled it on kmd mainnet and then they put it somewhere else on a dedicated coin that dedicated coin became pirate so there was an option to basically say this is a, only a public transparent chain i.e there's no pri like don't allow privacy tech on this chain and i asked him i was like oh that's interesting what what would what would it mean if we did the opposite of that what if we said only privacy tech is uh, you know allowed on this chain and he was like oh that's interesting and i went to sleep and the next day i checked you know in the chat and and pirate was created like he literally overnight was just like he ran with that idea and the next day pirate was created and it was cool it was like a whole new step in the direction of of privacy you know zk coins became a lot closer to to you know crypto note monero coins where you have privacy by default you don't have to opt into the privacy so pirate started as a kmd side project and at first it was kind of just a joke like there was a lot of bad pirate jokes in the beginning and you got free pirate for making a bad pirate joke in in the channel you know they were just giving it giving out free pirate and uh there wasn't like this long concerted like oh people decided on things and voted and and for weeks and months decided on how it would you know start off which was how kmd <clears throat> Zcash work, you know, they were like long thought out, you know, decided on whatever. So pirate was more of like a whim, but it was a good idea. You know, it was a whim, but it was a good idea. So that is a little bit of the origin story of, of pirate. So I was involved in the creation of pirate and, you know, many, you know, those 187 commits that were in Komodo, those, those were used in pirate because pirate used the KMD source code initially it did not have its own dedicated Git repo. They were they basically ran out of the KMD repo. So that meant all KMD core devs, such as me, were pirate core devs. Like it was the same thing. So I don't know if that explains it a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Um, well, then no. Why the idea? Like if you're libertarian, so DMCA. Yeah. Well, what if is you're it libertarian, even why would you even go with the DMC claim? And then if you committed those lines of code to to KMD, why wouldn't Pirate have uh, the right to them? Or okay, uh, there's a little bit of confusion, but I can explain. So first of all, DMCA, what the hell is it? Because some people might not know. It's like what is it? It's a Digital Millennial Copyright Act. And in general, I'm not a huge fan of DMCA. Let me say that. You know, I am not a huge fan of it. So well, then why did I use it? Okay. So here's the thing. I did not use the DMCA. The Hush Project did not use the DMCA against any of those original 187 commits that I wrote. Those commits that I wrote were under MIT copyright. 
which means that's open source. And that means you can do anything you want with it. Open source, MIT copyright, it was invented by corporations because they didn't like free software like the GPL, which actually gives developers more power into deciding who can profit from the code. So the, the, the short version is GPL means you keep control of the code and companies can't profit from it unless you allow them, unless you say, sure, I will give you the, the rights to, cop, to, to profit from this. And then, you know, maybe by, you know, maybe they're giving you money or some kind of agreement to, to allow them to profit from it. it. It gives back to the developers that made the code and maintain it and all that. So the DMCA has nothing to do with that original code. It, that original code was open source, not free software. It was MIT licensed. You know, I wrote it for KMD. That's that. The DMCA stuff that happened recently was Pirate was taking code from the very latest version of Posh, which is GPL, and then putting it into their repo, into their Git code, which is MIT. And that is what it was about. So it's not about that old code. It's about the new code. And uh, yeah, Hush changed to GPL. I would say about a year and a half ago, maybe two years, yeah, about a year and a half ago. So, and that is was a response to not wanting people to steal our code and and use it, you know, profit from it. Um, you know, and just as an example, like the Linux kernel is GPL. You know, if if you're using Linux, then you're then you're using you know free software at the at the to run your computer, and you know. Open source is a watered down version of software, which basically allows companies to take that code and do anything they want, including like, you know, make it closed source. Like, so open source software is kind of crappy in a way that if you make open source software, a company can then take that code and then make it closed source and proprietary, run a company from it, make millions of dollars. And then, you know, steal all your work, profit from it, and not even contribute back and, and keep it open source. It's kind of crappy. So a long time ago, I decided that all my code was going to be GPL code because I, I believe in, you know, software freedom more than, than open source, which is really benefiting companies. That's, so That's one of the questions I was going to ask is why did you switch uh, over to GPL3? Sure. Um, well, there's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay diplomatic, but obviously, as you know, there's, there's been a lot of troubled waters in the, in the privacy coin world where, you know, projects fight with each other and attack each other and all that stuff. I'm not trying to sling mud and all that stuff, but, you know, just very, you know, relatively fair and balanced. There was a big falling out between me and the Komodo project because they started to embrace KYC and 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 just being not staying to their privacy roots. So when I left Komodo and the Pirate Project, I started to work full time on Hush, and I wanted my, my code 
my newest code in Hush to be GPL because it, you know, all the code that I wrote for Komodo, I was thinking that they were gonna stay to their privacy roots, you know, and and be against KYC and to really care about privacy. And they really went back on that. They really, a lot of people felt like they got burned by that project promising that privacy was their number one thing and then and then you know not delivering on that so i wanted to basically protect hush and hush's code from being taken by other projects and you know used abused made closed source made proprietary you know whatever um so that's kind of the reason and you know and just to give an example for many years I have made the default code that I write GPL v3. If I start a new code base, I make it GPL. Now, because it wasn't a new code base, because I was working on an existing code base, it was already MIT. I couldn't, I couldn't just walk into KMD and change their license. You know, you, you, when you're a de developer, you walk into a project and you're, you've got to deal with the license they already have. So, but with the latest Hush code, I was like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna change the GPL v3 because that that's better for you know freedom uh free as in freedom not free as in giving stuff to companies for free to profit from so um and just as a little side note um a very long time ago in a former life i worked for an evil 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 company called vmware for a short time and um i saw the internals of how silicon valley companies work and they it was part of their company culture to take free software gpl code take it remove the licensing from it knowing that it's illegal and then put it in their super crazy expensive proprietary software and then just you know let the lawyers figure it out because they have such so much money to throw at lawyers that that the average you know free software developer can't fight that so um, VMware was sued many different times over this stuff. And, you know, I'm not going to go into all that, but that a long time ago, I realized that open source software really just benefits these mega corporations. And it wasn't just an accident. You know, they're not just accidentally using this code. I'm like, oops, we didn't know. Oops, blah, blah, blah. No, they actually asked me to go and remove GPL licenses from all their source code repos as an employee. And they even asked me to not talk about it via email because they were being sued and the emails were being looked at. And I was like, nope, I'm having nothing to do with that. <laughs> so I don't know. I have a long history with caring about licenses of what they are, what they do, what they're for. Um, a lot of developers just don't care, don't know about what the licenses mean, and they just do whatever. But I don't know. I've been involved with them for a long time. And, yeah, that's why I chose GPL. Um, it, and just okay. as another example. What, no, yeah, go okay. ahead. I'm ranting. Uh, what, like, what, what, percent, what percent of Hush's code is open source and what part of it is GPL? Um, zero percent is open source and 100% is free software, GPL. Okay. So, but it, it started out, it started out as open source or, I mean, yes. where, where the change on yes. that? So here's the, here's the thing. Here's the interesting detail. Just like a company can go and 
take open source code and then change the license to make it proprietary or private or whatever, you can go and take open source code and you can change it to be GPL. You can't do the opposite. Once something goes to GPL, you can't go back because part of the GPL says all changes to this code will keep this license. It's, it's kind of like a, it's a sticky license. So once code is GPL, you cannot remove that freedom. But if you have open source code or code with no license or code like under the public domain or, or many other things, you can relicense it. You can just be like, all right, I'm gonna release this under a different license now. So originally the hush source code was open source um, and then we changed it to be GPL. And now every single line of every wallet and every code we write is, is GPL. And here's another reason. Um, I'm not a huge fan of patents. I think that patents probably hurt more than they help the world. But uh, pat rich companies use patents as a way to do bad things. So if you don't protect your patent rights, you're kind of at a disadvantage. GPL v3 says that the developers of the code retain all patent rights to that code. So all of a sudden it gets rid of these patent troll companies that just file nonsense patent, you know, lawsuits and just, you know, use their expensive lawyers to to attack, you know, average developers. So hush code we retain all patent rights to all hush code the same is not like bitcoin is open source they don't have any right to any patents that if someone if some random company wanted to say actually we made the patent on you know this bitcoin thing like bitcoin doesn't have the friggin' patent rights to it like it, it's a big mess so open source is it was kind of what craig writes companies <laughs> Kind of what Craig Wright's doing with BSV, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, and I'll, I'll repeat, I dislike patents. I don't think they're very good. I don't think that the way that patent law is written in the U.S. is is good and helps. But if you are a good per, if you're in if you're like intrinsically good by whatever definition you think and you keep your patent rights, then that protects you and your project from having bad people use those laws against you. I have no intention of, of, you know, making patents for every line of hush code. Like we have lots of cool, interesting, unique stuff that no one's ever done. I have not no interest in patenting that stuff, but I, you know, the hush project retains all our patent rights and no one else can just come in and say, Oh, this is actually our thing. We're going to sue you for this. And since you have no patent rights, this is our patent. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, um, offline we we were messaging, and you mentioned that pirate had an out. All they had to do was, the, I mean, what what was the whole deal with that? All they had to do is to switch one I, way. I, I mean, honestly why, think why that pirate, not just give them an out, or so pirate did have an out. Pirate could have just changed. Well, they have multiple outs. They could, you know, one thing is they could delete the code that they took from our repo, which use one out. Or they could relicense under GPL v3, keep the code, and just add a few lines of, you know, copyright the hush developers in their source code, because you have to retain <clears throat> those copyright lines of where the code came from. And that's like pretty trivial and easy, and, and end users wouldn't have even noticed or cared, right? But 
there, there is a lot of, you know, bad blood, I would say, between the communities. And they wanted to take the code, say it was theirs, not give any attribution, and kind of, you know, break all this copyright law stuff. And that's why this stuff went down. So I don't know... <clears throat> So they were what? taken. They were taken down, and no, they they were taken down, and then immediately reloaded. Is that a GPL three or what is the platform they're on now? Well, so to give some background to people, the the Hush Project did a DMCA takedown notice on GitHub against Pirate. What that means is very often the most common usage of that is that companies will tell GitHub, "Hey." Uh, we have like private source code, you know, for instance, people will post the internal source code of like Apple and Google and all this stuff to GitHub. And then, you know, companies need a way of telling GitHub, yo, that's that's not public open source. No one should see that. You got to take that down right now. And there's a whole process for that. Um, we use it in a slightly different way, which was this is a copyright violation. They're, they're taking GPL code and putting it into MIT code. And that is also covered under the DMCA. So right now, as it stands, the pirate full node source code is not available on GitHub because it's been taken down. Uh, I think that, you know, I don't know all the details and I don't know what kind of lawyers are gonna get involved and, and stuff, but I did see that pirate put their source code on GitLab and they also removed all the things that all the DMCA things that were issues. So at some, you know, at some level, they realized that they did something wrong and they removed all of that code from their, from their version of code that's on GitLab. I don't know whether they'll be able to put the code back on GitHub. I don't, that's kind of GitHub's decision. Um, they didn't respond to GitHub contacting them. And I think if they would have, things would have been easier. Mm -hmm. And they could have maybe solved it without getting taken down. But for whatever reason, they didn't respond to GitHub. And now they're in a stickier situation of having to kind of beg and plead GitHub to, to change things. I don't know what's going on there. But they also realized they did something wrong because they deleted all the, the code that I had issue with, you know, in their new code repo on GitLab. So I don't know. It, does, that affect, it, does that affect their uh, their privacy or security at all? Um, I would say it's not. I would say mostly not. I would say there were some advanced features. So one thing that they took from Hush was Hush has really, really You there? Sorry. Uh, I'm losing you. Hmm. <clears throat> I guess the government didn't want me to. <laughs> Are you there? Okay. I yeah, I cut out there for a minute, so I'm All not right. sure. Yeah. Can you can you hear me yeah. now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they they basically removed that network encryption stuff, um, but then found a different version of it that's not GPL and and re-added it. So basically, these are like edge cases and things that 
Oh man. Crap. Hello. Oh man. Losing connection here. So um can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you now. But, uh, um you cut out it where you were talking about the edge cases. Um, so just to repeat the, it doesn't affect the core privacy of pirate. I would say is the TLDR. Um, we could go into detail, but it's more like various features that interesting features that they took from hush. They had to disable. I mean, you know, I think both projects would have benefited from, from using each other's community. Um, why, why didn't right. you guys just bury the hatchet a long time ago and work this stuff out? Why did, I mean, why did it have to go so far? I mean, <laughs> where was the loss in communication? That's a good question. I would say when I left Komodo and pirate project, I had a bad taste in my mouth because they were adding, they were going on to KYC exchanges and they're also doing things like limiting which ip addresses from which countries could use their software you know like doing like goip fencing or whatever you want to call that stuff and i just i got a real bad taste in my mouth that they were going against their privacy roots and i started working on hush full time that's when the communities really split and there was a lot of anger from both sides of the community you know from hush saying that they we're going against their privacy roots and then from pirates saying that, you know, this, that, and the other thing that I'm a, I'm a horrible person or whatever they would, they said. So it's kind of like the same old story with open, you know, with open source free software projects that uh, communities fork because they have different opinions about things. And then, you know, they're very similar in certain ways, but, they're very different than others. So, I mean, pirate has thousands of lines of my code in it, you know, that I, <laughs> it's, you know, it's very, yeah, it's frustrating, but they also right. decided to attack, you know, obviously this is my opinion or whatever, but pirate and Komodo basically attacked the hush community in various ways such as ddos attacking servers and and all kinds of other things that i won't get into and that was about a year and a half ago and that is when the communities really split and started being antagonistic towards each other and you know making memes against each other and all this stuff so and that was the same time that i that we you know the hush team changed the copyright to be GPL because we wanted to protect our own code from being stolen by a project right. that was attacking us and stuff. So we went and did our own thing. Um, yeah, it would be better. It would be better for many people if these projects got along, but you know, they, their marketing and their narrative is that they are the best thing ever and the best thing that will ever exist and it, they don't leave a lot of room for, you know, collaboration. You know, there's, there, you know, I'm of the opinion that the that we need as many privacy coins as we can get. So I'm very much a a multi coin. You know, 
the future is multi-coin. There's never going to be one blockchain, one project, one coin that that satisfies the privacy needs of the whole world. It just it just can't be, right? We need lots right. of different chains and coins. So Hush is part of that future and part of that vision. And very specifically, Hush has this thing called Hush Smart Chains. And so it comes, you know, the grandparents of Hush Smart Chains come from Komodo asset chains, what they're originally called. And that lets you create crypto coins very easily with one line of code. Well, when Pirate was created, they added a little nasty little if statement that if you wanted to create your own privacy coin, let's say you thought Pirate was a really good idea and you're like, cool, I want to create my own coin like, like Pirate, you know? They put a little if statement and then it says, if you try to do that, we'll just error out and exit and say, you know what? You should just use Pirate instead. We don't want any competitors. So that's, you- that's, why, that's how I found Hush is uh, I was looking at doing that with Komodo. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, because I have a, a little meme kind of privacy coin project that's fixed to launch. And uh, that's that's why I ended up going to Hush is because yeah. I, I wanted that Z to Z protection from Komodo, but it wasn't offered. Yes. Uh, so hush I did. like the people at Komodo and everything. I, I talked to like Jason Brown over there for a long time about it. And uh, it, he's a you know, great guy. I like Jason a lot. Um, but I worked the, with him a lot. I worked with him a lot. I worked with Jason Brown a bunch when I was part of Komodo. And yeah, he's a he's a very level headed person. I think he did a lot of their business development for a long time. I'm not sure what what parts he's involved with now but yeah yeah so hush yeah. believes in freedom and we actually believe it so much that we give people the keys to create a competitor to hush with one line of code we even make have a little website that lets you create it and you just do a little web gui and you can just make your own privacy coin that directly competes with hush if you want to do that, fucking go do it. Like, awesome. We believe yeah. in a multi-coin future where as many privacy coins as possible are needed. Um, that was a big falling out time. You know, me and, and the lead dev of, of KMD really didn't see eye to eye on that very specific change. And if you can think about it, it's not like a super technical thing like, oh, we're creating this new math or this new crazy code and it's thousands of lines of complex code. This is literally one line, an if statement, like if X, then Y, that prevents people from doing what they should be able to do. They had to add code to to remove people's freedom. That really rubbed me the wrong way. So in Hush, we got rid of that stupid line. Like, that's dumb. (laughs) Why do we have that? Like, so... Part of Pirate's marketing and brand to be the only privacy coin ever, and they are the best. They are the only one that should exist, and screw you if you want to make your own. Or even just, you know, maybe you want to make like a sister coin. I like to think in families of coins. So maybe you're not trying to replace Hush or Pirate. Maybe you're trying to make like a sister coin that is a small thing and and you want to like integrate with them like you can't even do that so um what hush smart chains allow you to do is first of all if you want to go ahead and compete with hush with our own code 
there you go. We already we did all the work for you. There you go. If you if you want to go do it, do it. Then, you know, I make a joke, but we, no one knows, you know, maybe the NSA is running a hush mark chain, you know, in a Faraday cage under a mountain somewhere that's not on the Internet that you have to, you know, know certain passwords and whatnots. And and they're like co- totally isolated from the Internet and they're using it internally. Like that is a use case for hush mark chain. They, they, they can do that. And then everything in between, you could integrate with hush, you know, partially maybe talk to our chains or not, or you can try to compete directly and, and whatever. We give you all the options. Let, we let people decide. That's yeah. the freedom of, you know, actually. No, no, through, uh, over, you know, I've been talking with you for a while and uh, you talked about adding a lot of crypto note stuff in, into Hush. I, what do you think is better, ZK or crypto note and, and why? All right. Let me, let me just, uh, you know, give the little bit of detail on that. So, CryptoNote is kind of the, you know, the family of coins like Monero and Zeno and all these other uh, coins. They're, they're not based on zero knowledge math. They're based on, I don't want to go into math jargon and whatnot, but they're, you know, they're based on math where you're obfuscating the real data. Like you're not proving it with zero knowledge. And to me, as a mathematician, zero knowledge math is just like, it's like magic. It's, it's, it's math that becomes magical because it allows you to do something that's like seemingly not possible, which is to prove something without giving up any data about that thing. So crypto note coins are older. I think they should be given a lot of respect. You know, Monero has been doing their thing and Monero wasn't the first crypto note coin. There's a lot of others before them. They have become the largest by user base and, and market cap. But that whole family of coins should be given a lot of respect because they were doing it first. They, in my opinion, they're kind of the first real family of privacy coins. There were some privacy features of non-privacy coins, I would say, before that. But crypto note coins were where it really became like privacy coins. And uh, they they have a lot of things that could be learned from and, and all that. And a lot of the privacy coin world just fights, you know, like the Zcash world and the Monero world is famous for fighting with each other and making memes against each other and all this stuff. But... <laughs> At the end of the day, Zcash is privacy optional, and over 90% of Zcash is stored in non-privacy addresses. And the whole history of Zcash is basically the same as Bitcoin. It's There's very, very, very little real privacy in Zcash mainnet. That's the real hilarious joke, is that Zcash spent all these millions of dollars of venture capital money to create this amazing new tech and math and all this stuff, but then they didn't use it. They didn't make it required. They didn't force it, you know, everyone to use it and benefit from it. So that's why all these other little projects like Komodo and Hush and Pirate and other ZK coins, you know, are very interesting because we're the ones that actually are pushing the envelope and making it required. You know, Pirate was the first to make it, the z to z only and then i saw what they were doing i was like yep that's the next step we got it you know we got to do that that is the future um and then 
Hush did that and then made various other steps in addition to that. And then, you know, there's other coins now that do the same thing. So the, the, the Z, Z, Z to Z is, is shielded from, from, you know, one end to the other end. Z to Z but... means that you don't allow transparent transactions at all. You can never send to a transparent, which, and by transparent, I mean like a Bitcoin address. And what it really means is that you, there's no public data on an explorer that shows an address or an amount. That's really what it boils down to. So Z adders never appear on a blockchain and the mounts in Z adder transactions never appear in the in the explorer the public data so yeah except uh, for except for from the coin from the uh, coinbase right the, the very first transaction from the coinbase has to be trans, uh, transparent or am i wrong on yes. that yes no you're you're very you're on the ball i uh, i usually don't mention that at first because it's just like kind of confusing to some people a lot of people aren't miners but coinbase transactions are when you mine a new coin it's it's not the company they they stole that word because it's, it's yeah, so cool. yeah. <laughs> but um basically you would actually reduce privacy if you allowed mining to a z address because then that z address would become public on the blockchain explorer so it's it's a little non-intuitive at first but it's actually better to just uh, allow miners to mine to a transparent address. First of all, those addresses are crazy fast. Like Z addresses will never be as fast as, as, as regular T adders. So m for mining, like every millisecond counts because if you're one millisecond late in submitting your block that you mine, someone else gets it, you know? So right. milliseconds really matter to them. And, um, all they have to do is just change their address. Uh, but the default behavior of Bitcoin, if you're a solo miner, is that every new block goes to a new address. And then once you're on a Z adder chain, you then have to send it to a Z adder. It's kind of like a, a one-time single-use address that's never used again, which you, that's awesome. You can't get better privacy than that. It's basically... Yeah, I, was, um, I, I was asking the question the other day and that there's a Telegram group called uh, Pursuit of Privacy. And, and it's really cool because there's there, I see a lot of the devs in there. So, you you know, you're really getting fucking solid information from... Yes, from the very interesting channel. Who, yeah. who know what's up. And I, I had asked the question, like, uh, if you wrap, if you wrap uh, a Z coin, you know, Z cash or whatever, whether it's Hush or Pirate or whatever... What are you giving up by by wrapping that? Does that, I mean, is it only exposed during the time that it's wrapped and then it disappears, or are you like opening up data to any coin that it came in contact with? How does how does that work? Yeah, you are you're leaking a lot of metadata. So when you create a wrapped privacy coin, you're creating a bridge from a from a you know I like to call them surveillance coins. You know, Satoshi did amazing things. I have a lot of respect for them. But Bitcoin is a surveillance coin, right? It's there's no privacy there. You, you have to stand on your head, go crazy to get a little bit of privacy, and you have to pay for extra. It's privacy. not meant to be. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be a public. Not meant to be. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be. Um, so when you wrap a privacy coin in a surveillance coin to make it easier or simpler or whatever, like for instance, Pirate has a wrapped Pirate. Um, you're leaking a lot of metadata because you then are creating uh, 
T, like transparent to a Z, and then to, to get it unwrapped, you have to go from Z to T. So all of a sudden, all the amazing privacy that you had just using the privacy coin, now you're leaking that onto the surveillance coin explorer because, you know, it's it's there. You're all of a sudden creating all this metadata. And so, for instance, like if you're trying to push a huge amount of funds through a wrapped coin, someone looking at that wrapped coin explorer would notice, oh, look, here at 10 a.m., a thousand wrapped coins went in. And then here an hour later, a thousand wrapped coins came out. They can do what's called amount analysis and also time timestamp analysis, and you know sometimes it's in the next block. You know sometimes people don't realize how good this analysis is, and they don't even wait an hour or a day or a week. Because if you wait a long time, then it becomes less likely that that's definitely that that amount. But if you literally put a thousand coins in, and then the next block a thousand coins come out, it's like oh that's a really high probability that that. That these things are the yeah. same. I'm so, but the, the, the exposure, the exposure is only during the time while it's wrapped. Uh, but, but still, yeah, there's also pretty, a lot of uh, so the purpose. What was the purpose of having a privacy coin, anyway? Yeah, and also there's the centralization issue, which is who is running that wrapped gateway. Um, the last time I checked, I'm I'm not. I dislike wrapped anything in terms of wrapping privacy coins. But when 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 pirate makes something, I you know I, I look into it. I want to see what they're doing, and and I was like, okay, they're made as wrapped all you know pirate. What what are they doing? And basically, they have one single server run by one single pirate person that wraps and unwraps these tokens. Well, what happens if that one server gets hacked? What happens if that one server becomes malicious? What happens if that one server is honest, but they are become, you know, highly surveilled, and then someone is just looking at all the data coming in and out of that one server. It's, you're losing a lot of privacy by all the data going through a single server. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a there's multiple reasons why the wrapped coins are are not a great idea. I understand why people want them. They want it's basically pure like ease of use and liquidity. They want to be able to use privacy coins like surveillance coins, but it, it kind of defeats a lot of the purpose of privacy coins to to use well, get into um anon sets. I know uh one of your guys, one of your developers on Rio has uh, something called Hushland where he's got this, you know, in yes. real time anon set feature in there and it actually shows the anon set of other coins as well yeah so i don't you know the, the, you guys yeah. have the highest you're like somewhere in the sixty thousand range as far as the the anonymity set oh but, no we're at we're we're close to nine hundred thousand now oh well okay it's okay <laughs> i forgive you <laughs> i forgive you, you for not doing the latest yeah i don't yeah, it's been a while since i looked at it but it's uh the, it's, the url for listeners explorer.hush.land um, that is one of our explorers, and it shows the Anon set. I think it's the second number it shows right under the block height. So, yeah. first so, of I mean, all, guys, but but you're achieving this by only having one pool, and some of the other coins have multiple pools, which that's what dilutes their Anon set. Is that's it one of many reasons? Is it, dangerous? is it good or bad to only have one pool? It's the best to have only one pool. I can say that full stop. The best thing is to have 
one pool. It's almost like in a castle, only having one gate that you have to defend, you know? If you had 10 gates in your castle wall, well, then you're going to go defend 10 friggin' gates and only one has to go down for the invaders to come in. Right. But yeah, if you I mean, I don't I don't understand this. I don't understand all of that. I'm not a coder. I'm not a developer. So, you know, my my initial thought is, oh, well, it's it's like a honeypot. It's all in one place. But. Uh, OK, no, no, I, I think that that's reasonable. Here's the, he, I want people to to have at least an intuitive understanding of what. So it, it's, it's an anonymity set, also known as a privacy pool or shielded pool. There's a lot of different terminology for it, um, but it's the set of possible coins that could be involved in a transaction. It's as simple as that. So when you make a ZK coin transaction, there's a set of possible coins that could be involved. And for ZK coins, it's very large. It's basically all the coins that are in that pool of privacy coins. It's like, it's very big. It's, it's like global in the sense that it's all the history of, of privacy transactions. Any of those addresses could be involved. Whereas with crypto note coins like Monero, it's using 11 mix-ins, they call them. So the address involved in any transaction can be any one of the 11 kind of mix-ins or decoys that they... The ring, the ring ceremony? The or... ring, yeah, the ring signature stuff. So it's kind of like with with CryptoNote coins, the non-set, the anonymity set is per transaction. There's only a small group. And now some CryptoNote coins increased it a lot. So for instance, some coins, it's like over 100, right? So they're, you know, they're better than 11, but it's not very good either still. You know, like if you're if you're the NSA or some big billion dollar company crunching the numbers on 100 versus 11, you know, it's it's not that much harder. It is a little bit harder, but um for but then you go to zero knowledge coins, it's not just per transaction. It's it's all the the addresses that were ever making privacy transactions so it increases over time like every transaction that has privacy stuff and hush it increases by by on average it increases the anonymity set with monero here's an example i like to give let's say you made a monero transaction a year ago and you had 11 people you know 11 addresses in that transaction that were kind of giving you the where's waldo privacy that, that's what i like to call it like with with CryptoNote and monero you're, you're using where's waldo privacy you're hiding in a big group of people and big could be as small as 11 and you know no one knows where to find you but now let's say that some of those people had their wallets you know you know seized by the authorities or whatever right let's say just one, you know, of those people had their wallets seized. Well, immediately what they do is they go to a company like Chainalysis or CypherTrace or one of these other analysis companies, and they upload that data to their database. And now the anonymity set for that transaction is smaller, okay? It's, it's smaller by one. And now let's say another wallet gets seized and then another or a server gets hacked and a whole bunch of, you know, wallets get seized and whatever, and that all gets uploaded. This is happening. Like, they, we found videos of, of Chainalysis and other companies saying 
if you have wallets that you have from privacy coins, give them to us. We'll upload the data and we'll run our analysis and we can see what we can see. So they're, they're, these companies are worth billions of dollars. The financial incentive for them to do this is insanely large. They're definitely doing it in their own words. Nobody knows like how good they are or, or how well it works because that's highly, highly you know kept secret. But the math... Go, you know, your anonymity goes down over time because of other people's actions on the Monero chain, for instance. With Hush, every time you make a private transaction, it's the whole history of all people that have ever used privacy that you're that you're you know hiding in, and that's close to a million right now for every transaction. So it's just just better. I mean, it's just better, and you don't have to understand all the crazy math to know that, that that's yeah. better. So yeah. now here's the difference with Hush and Pirate. Pirate has a, Pirate has two anonymity sets. They have an old one and then a new one. So they are hurt a little bit because anyone that's an analyzing this stuff, let's say an analysis company, they can tell who's in the old anonymity set and who's in the new one. It's it splits the set. So instead of having one big set to hide in, you're now hiding in a smaller set that, that's really all it comes down to and so, so and you guys you guys are going to stick with uh is it sapling or orchard or what yes yeah, sapling yeah so sapling. hush only so, has one set and that's on purpose because we know that hiding in the biggest set is the best right so now here's an example for zcash i think they've got like four sets now or something right so the latest is the unified addresses and um can you what do you think of the unified addresses? Is that is that a good idea, bad idea? Unified addresses are weird. They're not they're they're not actually their own set. They're like a Frankenstein thing that I don't unified address lets you it's like a bucket that you can give to someone that has multiple addresses in it. And then the person like reading the address, let's say a QR code, they can decide which address in that bucket to use. It has all kinds of bad privacy implications um but there is the sprout anon set there's the sapling there's orchard and then i think that when they launch their halo 2 thing if they ever launch this new halo 2 thing zcash that'll be their fourth unified addresses like leaks data in between all of those four um but if you can imagine every time you create a new anonymity set it starts from zero it's like where's waldo hiding by himself in a big stadium with and you have if halo, if, if halo proves to be you know useful or will will hush be switching to halo or are you just gonna just hold steady with sapling i would say that first of all halo provides no privacy improvements it's it's purely about you know this whole trusted ceremony and all that stuff and it's really about supply it's really about auditability of the supply. It's, Halo 2 is all about saying we're definitely sure no one is printing, you know, free money in the background and no one else knows about it. That's that's really all it solves. It does not increase privacy for anyone. So, yeah, Hush is, Hush is very happy with the Sapling uh, Anon set that we have. Sapling was basically the second version of Zcash addresses that they came out with and, and they were actually fast the, the first version sprout were 
painfully slow and they found a horrible, horrible bug that allowed people to, if they wanted, create infinite free money inside of Z addresses and they wouldn't be able to tell. They're like, you know, what's called an inflation bug. So you had some of that, you had some of those documents in attacking Zcash or what? Yeah, there's a website called attackingzcash.com where I wrote a white paper that it talks about some other ways of attacking Zcash, but it, it also mentions the Sprout inflation bug in there. And just to, you know, it's a good time to mention Hush now we, we migrated away from the Zcash 1.0 code base and because I had so many commits in Komodo, the, the latest mainnet blockchain of Hush, we used the Komodo source code. And that was because I had put so many thousands of lines in Komodo that I wanted to use my own work. <laughs> so oh. we- well, are you, So you're not in danger of uh, Komodo coming back on you with the DMCA or no? <laughs> no, because it's, no, because you can, anybody can take open source code, specifically MIT, and change it to GPL. That's completely legal. It's part of the license that that you can do anything you want. The MIT license basically says, don't sue me, do whatever you want with this. That's basically the TLDR of it. GPL says, you can do whatever you want, but you can't change the, li the, the license. This license has to stay if you, if you release new derived versions of this code. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier about the NSA running their own version of it and everything and and if you if we look at uh uh what is it proton mail and telegram and everybody just i mean everybody's compromised at this point all of them and like it seems yeah. to me like the only thing out there that we can use for private messaging is it's kind of this you know uh, crypto in, in the message field I mean, what? yeah, at least you're not trusting a, a single company that's bound by the laws of a single country. I mean, decentralized blockchains kind of get, get away from that. They're not perfect, you know, like by any means. I don't like to say anything perfect. But with Hush, I really like Signal, the protocol. So Signal, the chat program, the protocol they use is awesome and amazing. They like really push the envelope forward they invented new stuff but they require phone numbers and they're based in the u.s and they're centralized you can't run your own server and, and they have a lot of kind of problems like that so hush has something called hush chat and it's basically if i was doing the elevator pitch it's signal on a blockchain on signal on a privacy blockchain so instead of phone numbers we use z addresses and instead of having centralized servers, uh, every full node, you know, can interact and do whatever they want. And there's no company controlling it. And there's no country that's controlling that company. So it's not so perfect. All of the, I mean, all of the ZK coins have this option, right? The message field. Every coin derived, <clears throat> excuse me, from Zcash has this thing called the encrypted memo field. <clears throat> and you can think of it as encrypted data that gets added to every transaction it's optional uh, you don't have to use it but it's always there and what's cool about it is that it's always there and you can't tell if someone is using or not that's really important because for instance with monero or crypto note coins if you wanted to do something like this then you would people would be able to see oh this transaction it has encrypted data because it's bigger or it's small you know but this one doesn't because it's smaller and 
it's it's hard you can't add it after the fact you have to launch the coin with this feature and then every transaction forever has this data and it's just empty if you're not using it but you can't tell if it's being used from the outside so everyone has that uh, all the zk coins have that hush chat is built on top of that and let and makes adds another layer of encryption so it has multiple layers of encryption and allows more of a conversational back and forth via that that memo field because by default it's more of a one what's way the, what's the capacity of that memo field because we have another layer of encryption it, it's instead of okay so it starts off being 512 bytes which is half a kilobyte um for reference that's like bigger than a normal sms message that's like i think roughly three or four sms messages but because we add another layer of encryption it gets reduced to 235 bytes which is still more than a, a regular sms and we do have the option of like chaining them together so in theory you know in reality we can make it bigger um pretty much we could make it much bigger up to about 200 kilobytes is uh that's the maximum size of one transaction on Hush. So um, I would say right now, each Hush chat by default, 235 bytes, which is roughly two, maybe one and a half SMS messages. And then it's uh, pretty easy to increase that to 200 by chaining them together. Um, you could even maybe chain multiple transactions together to get a bigger one, but we don't, you know, hush chat isn't for like storing DVDs and MP3s and stuff like the blockchains are not for storing huge amounts of data. They're for storing small amounts of very important data. And then you can put, you can put links or whatever yeah, in you there, can put like a BitTorrent URL or a, or a, you know, a download link or, that's what that's where it really shines, you know. Like, Factum, Factum does some stuff like that for uh, they storing data on the blockchain, and they're using Merkle trees and you know, blah. blah. I don't understand all that crap. So, but here's <laughs> and here's another reason why hush smart chains are so important is that let's say Alice and Bob want to talk, and they're they're going to use hush chat on the the public hush mainnet. That's good because they can find each other easily. You know, hush mainnet is like a global thing you know anyone can kind of find it get involved easily but then let's say they're like oh we want to have even more privacy we want to now switch to our own hush smart chain and use hush chat on our own smart you know hush smart chain and then so in the memo you know in the hush chat encrypted chat of the main you know on hush mainnet they then give each other the information of how to connect to their personal hush smart chain that only they know about and no other public people would know about it. And that means that even their encrypted data is not on the mainnet. Because even, you know, some people are like, hey, I don't even want my encrypted data on this public mainnet. That's reasonable. That's okay. There's use cases for everything. And so that's why hush smart chains are, you know, are really cool because you can actually kind of think of them as, you know, single use, you know, blockchains to chat about a certain topic and then throw them away. And then that's it. And so let maybe Alice and Bob talk on a certain hush smart chain for a week. And then they say, you know what, let's switch to a different one. Now let's throw that away, delete it. No one can fucking connect to it. No one knows about it. Now let's make a new one. Use that. That's a very high level of privacy. That means that 
even if your you know hush mainnet becomes totally hacked and backdoor that it's you still don't know what that side chains you know hush smart chain was doing so it's all about having layers of privacy and security you don't don't put all your eggs in one basket so i guess i think just for the final question i would ask uh like you have forced z to z everything is a forced z to z transaction and what about your connections are they tor nodes or i mean what what is the level of security in that regard for hush okay so this is where the encrypted uh, network comes in so by default satoshi wrote bitcoin such that everything is plain text everything is on the wire anybody can see what does that mean well it means that for instance your isp if they're if they're if your isp is like surveilling you the second you make a Bitcoin transaction, your ISP knows that this address belongs to this, this blockchain address belongs to this IP address. That's that's called linkability. They're linking together that metadata. That's really bad, okay? That, that's not good, okay? So now for privacy coins, uh, all privacy coins inherited that. And very few, I think there's only a very few privacy coins that decided that that was a bad idea. I think D, I don't know how to pronounce it, D-E-R-O, Darrow. I think that is one coin that that uh, was the first in the crypto note world to encrypt the network layer. Hush, as far as I know, in the ZK world, Hush was the first to make it mandatory that we encrypt all of our network layer stuff. So what that means is that if your ISP is surveilling you, which you should just assume they are, right? I mean... If they're not, they, they could very well do it tomorrow because, you know, someone forces them to. You should just always assume your ISP is surveilling you. And what that means is they just see a bunch of encrypted gobbledygook. You know, they, they know your IP address already. They're giving you the IP address. They're the ISP, right? But they don't know all the blockchain data to tie to that. So Hush is the first ZK coin to make every single full node require that encryption on the network layer like basically the https the little green lock in your browser or whatever so that is very good that that makes it much harder for all these isps and there's not just one isp when when you go to a website there's probably like 10 isps between you and that website there's your local isp that that gives you your internet to your house then there's the isps isp then there's the, then the next layer up and it, there's a lot. So any one of those ISPs in the middle can get that data. So breaking that linkability of that data is really important. And uh, and Hush was the first ZK coin to do that. Um, so that, that really helps. Um, you can use things like Tor and I2P and other stuff. Those are not default. And they also kind of they have their own problems. A lot of people just think like just use Tor and then it's solved, but using Tor opens you up to new attacks. So for instance, a lot of Tor exit nodes are malicious. A lot of Tor exit nodes are run by the surveillance companies and they're trying to see who will use their, their exit nodes. It's somewhat random. You know, the code decides randomly where to, where to exit. And then, they're surveilling that and there and there's new attacks that are possible because you're using Tor. So just use Tor is kind of a meme, but it, it's not perfect. You, you, you kind of still need to be an expert to use Tor effectively. So you can use Tor and I2P, but they're not default with Hush. 
Um, I guess I lied then about the last question. What is right. Siege? What is Siege? <laughs> okay, Siege is actually the reason. Siege, I would say, is the main reason why our anonymity set is so large. Okay, there's there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons that add up to why our non set is so large. One of them is we only have one. Okay, we're not splitting any of our stuff into multiple sets, but Siege is what makes it so that you can't tell how many people are involved in the transaction. So here's a very concrete example. Let's say you're using Pirate or Zcash or any other ZK coin. Let's say you want to talk to your three secret friends every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Well, that really stands out on a blockchain explorer. Um, having those three outputs is not the default it's not common it's actually very uncommon and so a blockchain analysis company who have you know mega servers that just crunch this data all the time they can notice that pattern they can say oh check this out every tuesday at 3 p.m there's this special transaction and three people are receiving data right there okay with hush we obfuscate how many people are getting the transaction so it basically rounds up to about eight so for instance if i'm talking to two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight people it all looks the same it all looks the same so that i call that the talking to, to three friends meta meta leak or, or problem and so uh, you, you mentioned uh, adding features from monero is that is this where this yeah, idea is from? yeah so you're basically stacking crypto note on top of zero knowledge yes in, in a in a metaphorical way yes i just you know the, some people the nerdy detailed people will say oh they're not using the code you know we're not using any code directly from crypto note and we're really not even using the the math and writing our own code it's really the the idea we're we're adding in the the hiding in a set of of other things on top of the zero knowledge because here's the thing zero knowledge is like it's only a the zero knowledge proof stuff is a, is only like at the very internals at a certain layer but like for instance zero knowledge doesn't say anything about leaking ip addresses right it doesn't say anything about leaking how many people you're you're sending in one transaction it's somewhat limited the zero knowledge is really like all about the addresses and the amounts so we're we're, we're taking a good idea from monero and when they use 11 mix-ins or whatever to mix in you can't tell exactly how many people are being sent to you could send to a few people and it looks the same as just sending to one so yeah and why that increases our non-set is because that in it increases it because there's multiple outputs all the time instead of the default transaction only having one or two private outputs our default transactions have eight and so our non-set grows much faster than any other coin that's that's definitely true so there's all these other reasons too so but those are the main reasons siege and the siege makes our non-set grow very fast you know in terms of velocity and then we only have one we're not splitting it across multiple and then we also have kind of a form of siege for when you're mined coins uh, when you have newly mined coinbase coins you need to send them to a z adder and we basically have seats for that as well so people can't tell 
which output is the is the are the coins they 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 kind of hide a bit as well and uh, attacking zcash.com talks a little bit more about that stuff um there's lots of like theoretical attacks too like some attacks like we don't know how how efficient they are how realistic they are but they seem like they could be possible right well why not protect against theoretical attacks because you can't go back in time and change blockchain data. Like once blockchain data is there, it's somewhat immutable. So it's better to be have a large buffer of safety, you know? So Hush believes in that. Like have a have a large buffer of safety because we don't know how fast quantum computers are gonna be on in 10 years or whatever, or or new attacks. So we can't go back in time and change blockchain data. So we might as well, you know, have a few layers of safety. And that's that's kind of ties into that. Awesome. Well, I think that that pretty much wraps that up. Uh, let's talk about the community. Uh, it's hush.is is the website. What about the Telegram or any other social media where people can go to you know, so, join the conversation? So one, so hush.is. You can also. I like saying is like hush.is slash privacy. If you just want, if someone just wants to like read a little bit of what is hush hush dot is slash privacy i kind of like that url because it's hush is privacy um if you go to hush dot is slash tg that'll send you to our telegram and then we don't use twitter anymore because twitter is a servant you know kind of a censorship platform um we do have we do have like mastodon and some other things but Telegram is the main place where we talk about stuff. Um, we know that Telegram isn't perfect. Um, that is where we do like user support. So like if you have questions like how do I run a full node, my wallet's not working, all that, um, we do that on Telegram. And, and then yeah. on Ryo has his own uh, site called Hush.Land. Hush.Land, uh, yeah, it's run by I think his, uh, his verbiage and stuff criticized uh, but he's not a native English speaker, so I guess you got to cut him some slack on that. Yes, he is a core. He's part of the core team. He runs Hush.Land. Uh, he runs an explorer. Um, but yes, he is not a native English speaker. So obviously, I mean, I don't speak any other languages very well. So I, I, he, he speaks it pretty good. I would give him credit. But uh, yeah, so... There's there's a lot of info about Hush online. Some of it is hard to find, but if you, we have like a bot in our Telegram that helps people. So if you come to Telegram, we have a bot that like answer, they'll help answer questions, give people links, do stuff like that. Um, and yeah, obviously Telegram is not perfect, but it is our. It, we just use it as a social media platform to take questions and you know as a starting off point, I guess, because obviously some people will be like, oh, Telegram, that's that's not good for X, Y, and Z reasons. Nothing's perfect, but uh, we do need some way to interact with users and take questions and, and all that stuff. So. Well, in, in closing, I'll go ahead and throw my pitch out there again. Anarchapoco, uh, February 14th to the 18th. Uh, the first four days is uh, medical and all the other different, you know, <laughs> libertarian related ideas and the last day is crypto day so of course we're closing it out with the best and we've got uh, paul Puey speaking we've got uh, lutes from pirate chain who's also speaking so if you want to hear it hear him I, I like i like hearing stuff from everybody so 
And then uh, one of my friends, uh, Colin Cantrell of Nexus.io, that guy is just crazy, insanely smart. You'll love to, you know, hear this guy talk. And just some great ones. Uh, Josh from Voltoro. Uh, I'm hoping to have Ladar Levison. I'll know later today for sure if we're getting Ladar Levison. And he's going to hold a workshop and show you how to de-Google your phones. Uh, so there's some really great stuff there. And uh, maybe we'll uh, probably even talk a little bit about NFTs and, and the rest of that stuff. But save some money. Go to anarchpoco.com and use the uh, code CRYPTO10. C-R-Y-P-T-O-1-0 to catch that thanks a lot duke uh very cool thank you for thank you for having me on and 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 asking a lot of very good questions i think they'll be very useful for people